Why can't we have the best of both worlds? That is the question I'm always asking myself. There's wisdom in the ancestral foodways and there's marvels in the modern world kitchen. And this episode is all about synthesizing both of those to produce what we call the easy way. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen Podcast with Allison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea living on a newly created family farm in Northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Allison. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am well. That's good. I wanted to start this episode by reading a review of the podcast, which every now and again, I actually remember to check to see if people have left a review. Thank you to everyone who leaves us reviews. This one's from Apple Podcasts, and it's from Caris Salate, who is one of our patrons. And she says, just marvellous. I'm so grateful for Andrea and Alison's wisdom and grace as they share their hard-won knowledge. If you have the means to become a patron, it's worth the investment. Their bonus episode and videos are excellent. Thank you very much, Karis. It's delightful to have you as a patron. I know that you've been, you're one of our longest standing patrons. And yeah, it's wonderful to read what you think. Thank you for giving us that five-star review. Made us both smile. Yeah, I love that one. She, Karis and Aaron kind of had a race. <laughs> they, they, they both jumped on Patreon, um, the Patreon right away. Mm. And I messaged Karis and I said, yay, you're our second patron. And she goes, ah, I was trying to be your first. <laughs> she jumped on like the second it went live. Her and Aaron were both there. I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, so, so thank, thank you, you to Karis. both of them. And thank you to all of the patrons who help us bring the podcast um, to you and hopefully in the future are helping us build something even bigger and even better to reach more people and hopefully instigate more change in our food world, which is, I know what everyone listening wants, really. So It really helps, you guys. It really does. It really does. does. Definitely. Have you had breakfast, Andrea? I'm wondering whether your tummy is going to rumble during the episode or not. (laughs) shouldn't rumble because they did have breakfast good um really simple breakfast as one would expect um just scrambled eggs Mm. and some salsa and some raw cheddar Mm. and some salt (laughs) so there you go and then a half a biscuit Camille made biscuits last night so oh wow just cut one in half today and kind of stuck it on the side of the bowl so they got nice and hot (laughs) with the eggs Sounds lovely. And then I made a big thing of tea to go with it. So, and Camille's good at biscuit making, is she? Oh, she's anything with dough. <laughs> Just okay. send her in. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, she loves it. Yeah, I wouldn't complain at that. You know what I think about dough? <laughs> no, <laughs> I do. Was your I um, do. was your sauce of fermented that you had? Nope, it's completely super boring. It. I mean, it's a it's a local brand. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're not good, um, but it's I, I was thinking this morning when I took it out because I didn't eat any of it until yesterday. And I just thought, you know, um, 
I, I wanted to have a few convenience things like that on hand this week, just because it's been a really nice day. You know, Gary's been working outside nonstop every single day and we've been all outside and I, I thought I want to have some nice convenience yeah. foods on hand and mm. um, just make it really easy so I can be outside most of the time. But the trade-off is it's just, uh, it's just not the same. And I don't know, you, you really noticed that I told that to Gary the other day, I was saying, you know, it would be really nice to um, maybe one day get like a, like get like a restaurant meal or something. But I said, I'm just so burned out on store food. Mm. Like it didn't take very long, just a couple of days. And it like, Ugh, it's amazing. So it. I, I find, well, first of all, I find it difficult to find restaurants that I feel good after I yeah, leave. There, there's a few out. There here. are some. And, I, and I'm, and I'm really, really happy when I find one. Um, mm -hmm. But um I do find that, like you said, after kind of doing it a couple of times, I just, I kind of wonder what all the fuss is about. And I wonder, it makes me realise how different yeah. I am now to in the past when I used to eat out a lot all the time. And how I can make a, a, you know, a lovely, lovely fresh meal here that is to my taste, that isn't oversalted or with some fat in that's going to make me feel really rubbish afterwards for about, you know, a sixth of the price mm -hmm. and have it exactly how I want. And, yeah, it's nice to have someone prepare it for you and wash up afterwards. Of um, course. But of course. I think the deeper that you get into this and the more your body learns to appreciate real food, the less that kind of holds sway over you, which is a double-edged sword because it means, well, it's great. You don't <laughs> have to feel like you have to treat yourself by going out all the time. Um, mm -hmm. But... Sometimes it's nice to do that. So it's finding a balance, I think. Yeah. I, I, I guess what's surprising to me is that even, even though, like I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I bought, I bought this. I think it's telling Deanna this. Um, she's one of our podcast listeners and we were talking about it and I was like, yeah, um, don't put me on a pedestal. You know, I went to the store and bought this and that, you know, sliced cheese and stuff like that. Mm. And yes, they're local brands. Yes, they're organic, you know, but <clears throat> it's just surprising, even though it's what would be considered like really good brands and whatever, mm. it is not the same. Yeah. It, it just isn't. And, and maybe if you had it once or twice, you wouldn't really notice it, but overall, I can just tell that my palate just feels very bland right now. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking about that lady in Chewing the Fat who says, I wouldn't eat a store-bought salsa if I was starving to death. And I know what starving to death feels like because yeah, I gosh. was starved as a kid. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is so crazy because then you think about when somebody comes over to your house and eats something you you made and you're just like, oh yeah, I didn't really have any time. So just kind of threw this together. And it's just, well, it's just whatever. And they eat it and they say, wow, this is just the best I've ever had. How much time did you spend on this? And you're like, oh, it's literally like our garbage meal, but okay. And then you realize it's just because all the ingredients are so good and simple. And what else is crazy? Like you said, the it's a fraction of the cost. Yeah. It's insane how expensive it is to buy pre-made food at the store. Like it's insane. So 
There's so yeah. much in what you um, just said. There's one thing I want, I think you're going to ask me what I have for lunch. There's one thing I want to say first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is that, that lady who was interviewed in Karima's fabulous book, Chewing the Fat, um, which if if people listening haven't heard, go back a few episodes and look out for the one called True Historical There's Italian Food. There's no way food. they haven't heard. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Most people listening to the podcast have read the book by now, I think. Um, that lady who said, I know what it's like to be starving. And reading those interviews with all those women who went through the most awful periods of, you know, malnutrition, not enough food to survive. Totally. And, and seeing how much of a, a reality that was only a few generations back and how that must change the perspective of those women for the rest of their life. And how, you know, in, in Europe, certainly there aren't many people who were in that situation now not like there were back you know in the beginning of the 1900s through to kind of 1920 1940 when that book was written we don't have huge swathes of people really our problem now is that there's too much food there's too much choice and there's too much processed mm -hmm. food and it's interesting how that probably has severely impacted our perspective on food ways and what good food is and what tastes good um, in a way that I don't think many people have kind of thought about and looked at and kind of just all folds into the whole situation we're in now food wise I think but I yeah that book is just amazing to to put yourself in the shoes of those women through Karima's interviews and realize the absolute horrendous times they went through it Every sentence made me grateful for, for my life. Mm -hmm. Really did. Yeah. And almost all of them mentioned at some point how they can't stand the food in the store and the food that people are making now. And <clears throat> a few of them even said, you know, the only thing they missed is they would go back just so they could taste the real taste of food again. They, they just can't handle how gross and bland everything is now. Mm. And I get it. Like, I really get it, you know, and you just think to yourself, if this is the norm for, you know, probably not our listeners, cause they're all out there like digging up carrots and stuff, you know, but like, this is the norm for most people is just this very bland processed commercial food. Like how close are we to Soylent Green? You know what I mean? Because nobody even knows how gross it is what we're eating. Like we think this is good. Oh, I went and got this, um, you know, this pizza at the store. Look how good it is, you know, or I got this pizza at this restaurant and you're just thinking, I, uh, I don't know about that, you know, and and that's what our standard is. Yeah, it becomes the new so normal. how much farther can we come down? Yeah, it becomes <laughs> the know. new normal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyway. anyway. So, <laughs> what did you have for lunch? <laughs> I had a really quick lunch today because um, I'm feeling the kind of a countdown of Gable finishing school soon and I'm doing a lot of things, a lot of creative things and so I'm trying to get a lot done and um, I, my stomach was rumbling. I was like, oh gosh, I've got to have some dinner, I've got to have some dinner. So um, I had some millet that we had in the fridge that was cooked yesterday in some stock and I put it in a bowl so I had a I had a kind of a, a big bowl rather than a plate and I put some mackerel in there um some rocket 
which has just come in at the farmer's market, and some olives, some very small um, black stone-in olives, which again are from the farmer's market, and some vinegar from the farmer's market, which is um, flavoured with uh, citrus skin. So it's got kind of a, an acidic um, citrus tang to it, which is really nice, and some local olive oil, and I just kind of stirred it all around, took my chair outside and sat and ate it. It was absolutely delicious and quite light because millet isn't so heavy as, you know, having bread at lunchtime. So I will probably be hungry when we finish recording. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was good. You, you, you know, it's always better when you can get outside. Yeah, oh, I agree. So I'm looking Everything at my garden better. and the things that are coming up and mm -hmm. I move things around in there at the weekend and um, got lots of borage coming the first year I've grown borage and so I'm hoping to use that we've got the chives in flower the, all the Mediterranean herbs are starting to come up I planted out some basil seedlings yesterday um, I've got my pineapple sage which is going absolutely mental we've got carrots coming up I planted some parsnip seeds the other day our beetroots coming on really lovely it makes it sound like I've got this huge garden and I don't I just have containers on a, <laughs> on a small bit of patio but it's beautiful it's um I tried to make it as productive as possible and we've got lots of flowering plants this year as well which we didn't have last year so lavender we've got honeysuckle and a jasmine and the bees absolutely love it and it's just a joy to sit out there in amongst the bees mm -hmm. and smell all the smells of the flowers and and see what we're growing so yeah it does make a difference to be outside yeah. for sure definitely definitely so well yeah um I feel like what what I talked about is going to contribute to the conversation today so yeah no I agree I wrote it down Shall already away? I wrote it down already must talk about that bit when we get into the main conversation yeah, yeah. so today we decided to do an episode which is about the easy way of doing things and it, at first glance it might seem a bit counterintuitive because very often both of us are talking about doing things the non-easy way and how much we love doing things the long way you know, the, the broken down way, how much we love baking bread or grinding grains or making broth from the bones. And that that is something that ancestrally was done much more than it's done now. And and it's nice to be able to to do that and to enjoy that and to enjoy the fruits of it. But at the same time, we're both busy mums with lives and if we can find ways to just make things a bit easier then we're going to take them and I think both of us realised we've got things that we do in our own kitchens which we take for granted that make some of these processes right. more digestible more you know more easy easier ways to do mm -hmm. things and so um we wanted to share those so, yeah. Andrea, do you want to Let's do it? Do you want to start with something, or do you want me to, <clears throat> yeah. to go down? Uh, well, actually, I'm going to say something that's not on the list. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, and this is just a front end, front end skill. Hmm. <laughs> my mom always said this. Always said this, and the phrase is stuck in my head: "Think prevention, think prevention." Yeah. So, the one of the first things you can do is, you know. Don't leave something sitting on the edge of the counter or spin the handle of the pot around or, you know, just yeah. always think these little things. And, and if you have an open container of food or 
um, you know, just finish closing it up and put it away. That really does help. And um, the old lean manufacturing maxim of only touch it once. So, you know, if you get the container out, you put the stuff in, in your pot rather than setting the container down, ideally just go put it back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, not always going to work, but um, think prevention. It can help. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. I try yeah. to do that as much as possible in all areas of my life, particularly the one touch. Thing. I know. I just want to touch something once and then it's completed, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Let me um, go into my sauerkraut because that's this is the idea that started yeah. this, that sparked this, because in the last mm -hmm. three or four months, I've kind of had a bit of a revelation with sauerkraut, um, which <laughs> I wanted to share and it made me think about an easier way. So, we eat sauerkraut every day and we have been doing so for very many, many years. And generally, the long way of doing sauerkraut in this house is you get the cabbage, you take off the outside leaves in order to um, cut a circle, circle shape out of one of them to put on the top of the sauerkraut in the jar. And then we chop the sauerkraut with a knife on a chopping board. And then we would put it in a bowl and put the, the salt on it. And then we would use... Um, a wooden mallet to mash it and that takes quite a long time to get the water out I know some people use their hands and kind of massage it sometimes I would use the food processor and I'd use the grating ring on my food processor and I would put the cabbage I would cut the cabbage into kind of small squares and then put it through the chute have it go through the grating section and generally I'd have to do it twice so I'd have to empty all the everything out and then put it all back together and do it again um, those are kind of the long ways that we've had of doing sauerkraut and just yeah about three or four months ago I made a mistake and I'm really glad I did <laughs> because I got a food processor up and instead of putting the grating thing on I put the blade in just the normal chopping blade and I put the cabbage in there and I ran it through and I was like oh my gosh, I didn't put the grating thing on, I'm, I'm using the blade, this is just going to obliterate this cabbage. But actually it was absolutely perfect. I managed to get the whole cabbage in the, oh. um, in the bowl of the food processor in one go, so I didn't have to undo everything and then put it back together again. And the cabbage was really, really fine, kind of more fine than it is usually through the grater section. And so I did all the cabbage, I put it in the bowl, and it took up less space in my bowl because it was chopped more finely. And then I put in um, my salt, which um, we do 1.37 grams of salt per 100 grams of cabbage and some caraway seeds. And then I did what we always do. And this is the other time saving tip that I would say for sauerkraut to make easy sauerkraut. We put the salt on, we stir it around with a fork so the salt's distributed. We put a plate over the top and we put it in the fridge and we leave it there overnight. And the salt works its way into the cabbage and starts breaking down the cells and allowing the water to come out of the cabbage without you having to do anything. And so we leave it in the fridge. The next morning, we take it out. And the first time we did it, I remember the first time ever we left it in the fridge, we'd run out of time to do it, I think, that night. I went to get the mallet to squish it, and I was like, oh, this doesn't need squishing. There's just water everywhere. You know, there's nice. a liquid from the cabbage that's come out. So then, if you do it that way, you can literally just put it in your jars without having to mallet it, without having to massage it. So then mm -hmm. I put the cabbage into my jars. 
I put my um, circle of cabbage that I've cut out on the top of it to keep all the cabbage as best I can under the brine. I use pickle pebbles on the top of that. And then I make a brine for extra water just so to make sure it's really well covered. And then I leave my sauerkraut on the shelf to ferment. But it takes it from a process where you're chopping and it's really quite big and laborious. And because you're not chopping that finely, you're probably going to need two jars instead of one into a process where you've got your cabbage really finely grated. And then instead of having to massage it for half an hour to get the water out, you just bang it in the fridge, do something else. Next morning, it's done. Right. And so that's just, it feels like it's, for us, sauerkraut is a staple. You know, it's not something I get much creative pleasure out of. I get my creative pleasure out of other things in the kitchen. Um, and that process just makes it, you know, it just, I'm, I'm clicking my fingers. It just goes, you know, it's so much easier to do it that way yeah. than, than spending time on it. So, yeah, that's my first one. This is, this is a really good example, Alison, of how I feel like I don't see why we shouldn't have the best of both worlds. I feel like so much of the time you say something like, oh, I want to do something, you know, an ancestral winner was like, oh, you want everybody to die and infant mortality to be 70%. It's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also not saying I want to, you know, live in a pod eating the Soylent Green for dinner, yeah. you know? So I feel like, why can't we take the best of both worlds? Why, why do we have to go so hard one way or the other? Uh, why can't we say, look, there was a lot of wisdom there was some stuff that wasn't so good that came with it. Maybe we're not drowning people's witches anymore, mm. <laughs> you know, but, but take the things that are valuable and, and, and continue to use them. And so that's a good example because you're marrying that wisdom of how the cabbage can be treated and, and everything in your, but, but like you said, you know, you're doing something your ancestors didn't, which is you're hopping on a train and, you know, going into town, to take your son to mm. school. And then, you know what I mean? So finding that shortcut, thanks to the modern convenience of having electricity and a machine you can plug in is fantastic. Yeah. But you also have the skill to do it manually. Mm -hmm. Like out here, say it's a nice rainy day, you're probably not going to want to plug in an appliance yeah. and run it, but you could still do it with mallet you know so I love that that's yeah. such a good example I think maybe you know at the beginning I'm really glad I did it with the mallet you know I've done sauerkraut many many times with the mallet yeah and maybe yeah. if it was my cabbage from the garden I might feel like I want to reconnect with the cabbage perhaps um or even if I I had more creative kind of response to that kind of ferment mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. maybe if I was making a kimchi or something else similar to sauerkraut where I was bringing in more herbs or bringing in different vegetables and I got creative pleasure from that then I might want to kind of revel in that pleasure and take it slowly um totally. but I don't totally. really like I said I don't get that much from sauerkraut I'd rather revel in the process of making bread or making an ancestral beer um than doing the sauerkraut so it's it's finding a balance and making sure you're feeding your creativity mm -hmm. and the things that inspire you and trying to make the things that you're not so hot on as quick and easy as possible. And it, it helps keep you from resenting yeah, that activity completely. down the road. Yeah.
Would you like more support to help you eat, cook and live ancestrally? If so, come and check out our community at patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast. We've got so many goodies over there that will help guide, inspire and support you in this journey we're taking together. There's our exclusive podcast where Andrea and I talk more intimately about what's happening in our kitchens and lives. There are so many after show bonuses, downloads, extra audios and resources. We have a forum where you can ask and answer questions. And we even host a monthly chat where we get together and talk all the ancestral kitchen things. We love cooking and eating this way. And this community and library of resources is what we would have wanted when we started out. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast to get started. So I love it, Alison. It's next on your list. <laughs> okay. Where are we going next? Well, I thought we'd spend some time talking about bread. Why not? <laughs> we love because, talking about bread. <laughs> um, yeah, because we love talking about bread, but also because <laughs> bread's are like a big thing and people, you know, there's so many problems True. with starters and I don't want to do this and I can't get my loaf to rise and why does it take me nah. hours to do this? You know, and and really bread doesn't have to be that complicated part of it is something that we we're going to talk about a bit later on which is expectation setting you know because if you're looking for a bread that's going to be gorgeous with a big ear and has massive holes in it then you're probably going to want to master some techniques to help you get there no then you but, probably spent a lot of time on instagram, just instagram. <laughs> Too much time. Your, your expectations will normalize <laughs> but if you want to feed your family and yourself really um you know pre-digested fermented healthy grains then you can do that without spending hours on it and I think a lot of people worry about it in a way that's not necessary so I wanted to dive into a few bread things if that's good with you it is always good with me to dive into bread things. Okay. <laughs> so I know you've got a bread recipe to talk about. Let me talk about, before we get to yeah. the, the mixing the dough, let's talk about the starter because I think this is the place where it can all go wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I, and, I, and I've said this in the courses that I've done on sourdough, that um, the way that I see a lot of people with starters is that their starter runs their life and your starter should not run your life. You should be able to manage your starter and it's totally possible. Mm. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't keep my sourdough starter on the counter. I keep it in the fridge. I pay attention to it when I want to make a loaf the next day because I take some of it out to build a leaven overnight and that makes my bread the next day. But apart from that, I pay attention to it once a week, maybe once every 10 days. When it runs out, obviously I pay attention to it because i make some more but otherwise you know I, I think oh I haven't I haven't done my starter for a little while and I go in the fridge open it take the lid off and smell it and if it needs if it's really strong I refresh it and I would refresh it maybe once a week sometimes once every eight nine days and that's it I don't bother about it the rest of the time and yet I'm making bread for us to eat all of us eat bread every day eat sourdough bread that I've made yeah and the way that you can help do that, um, several different um, techniques and ideas. First of all, I use rye flour. Um, 
rather than wheat or any other type of flour for my main sourdough starter. And I use whole grain rye. The reason I use rye flour is because it activates really quickly and nicely um, and it keeps really well. In addition to using rye flour as opposed to wheat, I specifically make my starter thick. So often I've seen starters that potentially are made from white wheat that are very, very liquidy mm -hmm. and get that hooch on the top, you know, that kind of liquid mm -hmm, on the mm -hmm. top. My starter's nothing like that. It's not white, it's dark brown because it's whole grain rye, but also it's got um, much less liquid in it. So the, the term um, hydration in bread making means the weight of water to flour. So if you've got something that's 100% hydration, you've got the same water and the same flour. I tend to keep my maintenance starter at about 70% hydration, which means that the water is 70% of the weight of the flour. And with rye, whole grain rye, that makes it really quite thick. Sometimes it's difficult to stir it. But once I've done that, the fermentation is slowed down because fermentation happens more quickly in a more hydrated environment. <clears throat> Excuse me. So by keeping my starter at a lower hydration, I'm slowing the ferment right down. And then I put it straight in the fridge. I don't generally leave it out on the counter unless I'm making a bread the next day. And, and I leave it in the fridge. I'm making a bread maybe two days, three days later. It's absolutely fine to use from there. And, and it just lasts. And really that's just a couple of tweaks. You know, that's looking at the flour that you're using and looking at how much water that you're using and keeping it in the fridge. And all of that just means... I don't bother with my starter. You know, a week goes by and sometimes yeah. and, and I haven't thought of it. And that's the easy way to keep a sourdough starter, definitely. It's true. Yeah, I love that. So how about making bread? Um, what's your experience, Andrew, with, with bread making and, and the easy way to do that? Mm. Well, there are recipes that are more complicated and there are recipes that are simpler. So I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've shared before Katie's sourdough, uh, Katie's sourdough sandwich bread recipe on here, I think. We'll so link I'll to that, post in, that the in the show notes. notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is, she, she is definitely the master of whittling things down to the easy way. So she, she sees a process that's extremely complicated. She simplifies it and then she just makes the, the barest of notes, you know, for her recipe. Mm -hmm. So then for me, I feel like when I look at a recipe and there's four pages, you know, and you're like turning the page, okay, now what? Then it feels complicated. But when you look at a recipe and it's just a few lines, <laughs> you know, like you could say, okay, chop the cabbage, sprinkle with salt, and then put it in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Like you could say that, or you could mm -hmm. say, Use a very sharp knife. Note, have a good cutting board for this. Chop, chop, chop. Then rotate the cabbage three quarters and chop it again to get it very fine. Lift it carefully into a bowl. Make sure you get every last scrap. Massage it. Add salt. Toss, turn. Check to make sure that it's not too salty. Take a taste. You know, really beat it and then start hammering it. Yeah. Once you've completed that, transfer to an airtight container and keep in the refrigerator, but check it frequently, you know, like you can make it longer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
So just having uh, short instructions written down her sourdough sandwich bread. Um, I, I told you I was going to see if I could make it over the weekend. I didn't make it over the weekend. That's how much we were outside, but that was good to be outside. Yeah. But, um, the actual contact time with like working on this loaf Mm. over the span of the two days that it takes, I, I want to say it's roughly 15 minutes and that includes measuring the flour. Yeah and mixing it and then she has you um stretch and fold which the first I don't even know how many times I made the recipe I didn't even read that part and I just <laughs> didn't at all I mean it still works <laughs> like, it was fantastic yeah. <laughs> so it was fine um and then I was at someone's house the other day and they were stretching and folding a loaf. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm stretching and folding. I went on YouTube and this is how they said to do it. And I was like, oh, wow. I like, I literally had no idea. I just stand in front of the bowl and I stretch it and I fold it and I stretch it and I fold it. I didn't know <clears throat> that, you know, you lay out this cloth and then stretch it out, make it, get a ruler, make sure it's just so, and then fold it and then stretch it out. I, I have no idea. Someone so, says you're supposed to do that. A lot of other people say you don't. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it would depend on what you're making your bread out of, right? Like mm. you're, you're um, trying to, oh, now the word just fell out of my head, but you're, you're stretching your gluten, right? Yeah. Um, but that's a great recipe. Do you want me to talk about freezing it or no? Let, let's yeah. just, let me just add to that, that there are many recipes for breads that are no need. Literally, you know, there are recipes totally. for breads where you yep. need and need and need and need and need. And if you want to make your sourdough simpler, go look online for a no need sourdough because there are recipes where you just leave the entire thing. You don't do anything to it. And then you put it 100%. in a pan and put it in the oven. One more other thing that I wanted want. to say <laughs> before we get to freezing, which was a, is a brilliant thing, is um, talking about people making things simple. I wanted to remind um, listeners of Ellie's way of making sourdough ellie who we've interviewed here on the podcast um i think one of our first episodes maybe number six about bread making from ellie's every day Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. hopefully we're having back on later in the year oh yeah um she has well she revealed on that episode because i didn't realize (laughs) before that that she does not make a separate starter for her bread like i do the night before i make a bread she just keeps her starter in the mm. fridge. And then she wants to make a bread. She just takes what she needs out of her starter stash in the fridge and makes a bread. So whereas I would plan the night before if I want to make a bread the next day, she could get up in the morning and just, she's got enough starter in the fridge, spoon some out, mm. make the bread. And, you know, if you're, one of your weaknesses is that sometimes you want to make bread the next day and you haven't done the starter and it's not something that you can get into your routine really easily, well, go and do what Ellie does. Watch one of her videos about how she maintains and keeps her starters and just keep a lot of starter in the fridge ready for the next time you want to make a bread and use it from the fridge. And yeah. Super simple. And I'll throw this in with sourdough starters too. Um, I, I've been keeping our sourdough on the counter just because we've kind of been running through it. And so I'm I actually need it. They're visually prompting me to keep filling it up. So we have enough for the next round. But, Mm. um, when you make any recipe, I'm just going to leave this for the listeners to do. If there's any recipe you love, it's, uh, your mom's banana bread, the 
your favorite cornbread recipe, um, a muffin recipe you grew up with. When you next make that recipe, just dump in some of the sourdough starter. Just add it in. Like, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to like measure things, whatever. Mm. Just, <clears throat> it'll it'll match the, <clears throat> excuse me, it'll match the, typically it's pretty close to the hydration of a quick bread anyways. So it's not like you have to add more wet or add more dry when you add some starter to, even if you add like a half a cup or a cup, you know, or a cup and a half as I've done before. And then take your batter that you mix and just chuck it in the fridge overnight. And then the next day do your baking. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. And you instantly turn your recipe into sourdough blueberry muffins, sourdough yeah. buttery cornbread, sourdough yeah. overnight coffee cake, you know, you name it. Sourdough St. Louis gooey butter cake. <laughs> <laughs> you can just turn it delicious. into sourdough more more digestible and it's just easiest thing ever yeah so putting it in the fridge overnight that's something that we haven't really talked about you know if, if you if you're mm. bothered about having enough time to finish your bread put it in the fridge overnight don't worry about it I've often done that yeah. because I've run out of time that's something that you can do um yeah. let's talk about the you freezer can also yeah go on <laughs> I was gonna say you could bake it right away too if you wanted yeah yeah, yeah. I just think it's more, it's, it seems it's moister and it's, you know, fluffier when it sits in the fridge overnight. Yeah. And that's another thing that I got all up in my head about before, mm. like when I first got Sally's book and everything's like soaked grains. And I was just like, what does that mean? Mm. But in reality, it's just shortcutting your food really is because you can, you know, make a batch of batter in the evening after, you know, when you're cleaning up dinner or whatever, just shove it in the fridge yeah. and then the next day, bake it for lunch. It's so easy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk about the freezer because that's yeah. not something that I've used. You've used that for dough. So explain how you've used that mm. um, in your dough making because I haven't yet. Yeah. It's just um, dividing your work up even more. And it's, it's one of the greatest convenience foods ever. So you make your batter for your blueberry muffins, your sourdough blueberry muffins that you just invented. You put it into the muffin cups. And then instead of putting it in the oven, go shove it in the freezer. <laughs> and then you can pull the muffin cups out of the frozen pan and throw them in a bag. And then look at that. You've got, you know, you can have your fresh blueberry muffins, fresh baked. I, I personally, like I'll bake things and put them in the freezer but personally I prefer them freshly baked mm -hmm. if at all possible so mm -hmm. for me it would be better to freeze the dough rather than to finish baking it and then freeze it and we could make also, you know two three four times the amount of dough if you've got the freezer space and put it all mm -hmm. in there then you've got four lots of blueberry muffins or four lots of pizza dough or four lots of bread dough or four lots of focaccia dough it, it's you know precisely. anything that you're making you can make it yeah. easier by doing it once and then having it four times. <laughs> My logic is usually this, and it comes back to touch it once. So when I'm making pizza dough, I think, okay, I'm getting out the bucket of, of a flour and getting out the, you know, the sourdough, whatever you're getting all your things out. Mm. I mean, there's like three ingredients in pizza dough, but here we are. And getting my mixer dirty or whatever. So I think, okay, why not just get it dirty yeah. once? Why not make yeah. eight of these? And then <clears throat> I just put the, the 
pizza dough, I usually divide into two pizzas per bag and I freeze it and just label it, you know, sourdough pizza. And then you just, I get the bag out of the freezer and I throw it in a bowl of warm water. I don't know, sometimes the night before, sometimes the morning of, and then as soon as it's thawed, I use it (laughs) as soon as I can work it. Yeah. So yeah. Works pretty fantastic. Let's mm-hmm. t- let's talk mm-hmm. a bit more about um, kind of cooking in batches because that's kind of where we've gone with the bread. So I think to easily give yourself nutrient dense food as much as you'd like, it's good to have more readily made, more readily available food around you. And the way that I do that in my house is by batch cooking as much as I can. So for me, usually that tends to be batch cooking things like pulses and making a lot of them and then putting them in the fridge and leaving them there and they're there for five days and we're having them every day. Very often I will cook vegetables in perhaps in the cast iron pan and I will cook enough for two lunches and a couple of packed lunches for for my son. And to start with I would I would often do that with boiling vegetables and then he was like, mm, cold boiled vegetables, don't like them so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so then I thought, okay, how can I make this more appealing for him? So I started using the cast iron pan and using lard and putting some onions and garlic in and then some spices. And I'd make a big batch of broccoli or cavallonero or something, you know, green wise. And then literally we'd have it warm for supper and then he'd have some in his lunchbox and I'd have it for lunch the next day. There'd be some left for the day after that. And all it requires is, is a container in the fridge and, and you've, got, you've got it there, which means then the next day you don't need to do the same thing again. I think, Andrea, you right. do this a lot with your breakfasts, don't you? Talk a bit about your kind of batch yeah. cooking for breakfast. We do this with a lot of things and part of it is just because I... I am incapable of making a normal amount of food at a time. (laughs) And um, my family hasn't, my family size hasn't caught up to my pan size yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also it's because I just, I literally cannot fathom going through all that work, all the work it takes for one meal, for one meal. Yeah. In my head, I just think, why would I not? I mean, it literally takes minutes more of effort to increase the size of something and have a couple extra of whatever. And like when we made, make beans, like you said, beans or pulses or something like Mm. that, I I would never, never Mm. would I ever just do like the amount we needed for dinner. I would always make extra because then you've got beans for cooking with eggs the next morning or beans for putting in burritos or beans for tossing in with some chicken kidneys and cooking up a stew or whatever, you know, mm. with breakfast. Do you mean the casseroles? Like yeah, the casseroles? your casseroles. Cause I think they're lovely. Yeah. Yeah. We usually the casserole size. Okay. So this, this wouldn't always work. <laughs> Batch cooking I feel like when, when you're in it, when you are in a big family, you're always like, what, what do you mean? You made an extra loaf. Like it takes four for us to have dinner. <laughs> so what's an extra loaf going to do? Um, so sometimes batch cooking doesn't compute when there is a big family involved. Um, but it's still, it, you just have to scale it. Um, if you look at homesteading family and she's where I get my breakfast casseroles from, she's got nine kids. So that, that counts as a big family, I think. Yeah. And <laughs> She is a master at batch cooking and she has enough, 
I think she says that they do at least one, basically a pre-made meal, one pre-made dinner a week. I'm pretty sure that's what she said. So if you look up homesteading family on YouTube, and I can throw that link in the show notes as well, then she's got some videos on, you know, her soups and breads and things. She's where I learned Allison to make a huge batch of dough and keep it in the fridge for, you know, five or seven days uh, and just yeah. pull a little bit off yeah. every evening to bake something for dinner or for breakfast or whatever. Um, but her casseroles are made for her family. So she has nine kids, like I said, and I have a third of that. <laughs> and so I'm, I still make her casserole size though. And then we can divide it over two or three breakfasts. So I suppose you could call that batch cooking breakfast if you cooked it. or like when we do the soaked oats, Allison, I yeah. usually make double yeah. the amount that we need. And then I put it in the fridge and then the next day it's just, it's not like it's that I mean, hard to do. I did but, that for, for my lunch. I told you I had millet that was cooked yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And we've still got some in the fridge. It's in a, in a glass container and it will do some supper for Gable tonight and it will do breakfast tomorrow for me. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's part of the right. rhythm of our kitchens, I think mm -hmm. for sure. Talk about yeah. your kind of recipe, um, collection, uh, as regards having a go-to, because I think a lot of people sometimes okay. are overwhelmed by not knowing where to go in the evening. Oh, I've got to make dinner. Yeah. What, what can I do? And, and often I forget what recipes I know and what my staples are. So I really I like, I really like your idea of your, your own kind of personal collection and, I, and I've seen it and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about that. Okay. So I'm first going to say what I had before, because I know that a lot of people have what I had before. So mm. I had a notebook, like a three ring binder and when I came across a recipe that I thought was interesting or one I wanted to try or a magazine clipping, or if it was a recipe I had that I had typed up, I stuck them all in there and it was pretty big. That's the problem. It was really big. Well, Katie, who I mentioned earlier, um, like I said, she's a master of just making things happen faster. She has six kids. She has a farm. She has like six cows. She's got chickens. She's got pigs. You know, she's, mm. she's got it going on. So she doesn't have time to burn. And she has just a very small notebook and a three ring binder that she, if you go to her kitchen, which some of you probably will one day, and you'll see it just sitting on the table, always there always there. I can walk in her kitchen and just grab the notebook. And it's the recipes that she cooks the heck out of. Mm. So <clears throat> there are recipes that we enjoy, but it's not like I make them every week or every month. Yeah. And then there's recipes that we just like our family just, you know, uses a lot. And rather than having all these different cookbooks, Instagram accounts, saved collections on Pinterest mm. or whatever to have to flip through. She takes the recipe and she types it. Like I said, she, when we talked about instructions, she makes the instructions shorter. So instead of the long description of how to knead biscuit dough, she just goes, you know, mix and bake at 450, you know, because yeah, yeah. she knows that she knows how to mix it. She's made this recipe before. Yeah. And I feel like this will be such a gem for the kids one day because it will basically be, you know, the flavors of my childhood. Yeah. And all the recipes that they enjoyed that you maybe I, I actually try to be conscious and think, 
what do I make that I don't think about it because it doesn't really have a recipe, but my kids might one day want to make. Yeah. And then also what do I just need to have in this notebook as a trigger to see it and say, oh yeah, we do love that. I am going to make that. And what Katie and her husband did was she just, you know, she, when she felt like the overwhelm of things catching up to her, she said, let's sit down and come up with like seven meals that are solid wins for our family that everybody loves. And then they, they butchered to that list and they shop to that list and they prep to that list. You know, so if you're, if you know that your family just crushes refried bean, you know, and beef burritos, then you'll be pressure canning or prepping refried beans to that list. Or you'll, when you send your cow to the butcher, when you butcher, you'll grind a lot of meat because you're like, well, we could literally eat this like every week. Our family loves these, you know, so you'll be grinding meat or whatever. Yeah. So Um, the the recipes are dictating that the the bigger kind of circles that are going out rather than being there going, what am I going to buy? What am I going to make? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's less, um, reflexive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And how many recipes have you got um, in your one? I don't have very many in here yet. I don't know, maybe 25 or something. Okay. Um, so sort of acute, I'm, I'm also putting in some, you know, like, sour cream recipe. <laughs> like if I really like a sour cream recipe, then it's going in the book. Um, something that I just make all the time out of the, you know, out of the cow's milk. So, so if say we're flush with cow's milk, I can just flip the dairy yeah. kind of chunk in the book and be like, all right, these are things that our family loves. We use these a lot and they taste good. And I pretty much always have the things on hand for them. So I'm going to make the sour cream with condensed milk or something. <laughs> nice. So you're going to put that up on our Patreon feed for in our treasure. Trip. Yeah. 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 So I'm not putting the recipes just because mm. they, um, like some of them are just copied directly out of cookbooks. I just mm. took it and put it in my notebook for my own personal use. Um, but the cover and the table of contents I'll put up. And then if somebody else wants to grab their own three ring binder, like you, your recipes will be different than mine. You know, yeah. what you have regionally, what your family's personal taste preference is, what you raise in your yard, what turns up on your table will be different. So um, yeah, then if you want to, you could print, I just made a little cover and I called it the kitchen cannon. <laughs> okay. And it's, I called it the subtitle because of course I, I have to make everything look so, you know, <laughs> I called it farm to farm favorites from productive kitchens around the world. Cause a lot of the recipes came. You sold from it to me. You guys. <laughs> I sold you. <laughs> yes. And, and, and the authors is by the editors of the Chuckanut Hills farm journal. Yay. <laughs> That's our little, a little farm. newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I thought this was going to be a short episode, but we seem to be going on somewhat. Let's move um, to something that we kind of touched on earlier, which is setting expectations, expectation Mm -hmm. settings. And I think, you know, you talking about that book and having a a staple number of recipes that are just your go-tos is a really good example of 
having an environment where you've got your favourites and you love them mm. and you eat them and you don't expect to have a different meal every night. The same with the bread that I was talking about earlier. You know, you don't, you want good, wholesome bread. You don't expect to have, um, you know, massive holes in a tartine-style bread. Um, I think with, certainly with my family, since we've been cooking and eating this way, we have foods that we eat very, very regularly, you know, and if I'll, if I make a stew, there'll be some in the fridge and it will last five days and, and we'll eat it for five days. You know, that will be our main meal for five days and then there'll be some in the freezer. We've got a certain amount of recipes that we just go back to again and again. And I think it, it pays to get those recipes that you love and get good at them and then literally set your expectations so you're not expecting to have a different meal every night because to have a productive kitchen that's that's taking things from the farmer from the ground when we're busy people it's so much easier to just have good food and enjoy it a few times a week, two, three, four times a week. Um, I think that's an important part of this whole conversation. Absolutely. And I think this, this modern obsession with, you know, the Pinterest recipe culture, I'll just call it, where there's, you know, 900 gazillion different, you know, kind of complicated recipes for all sorts of different things. It it heavily relies on commercial food culture yeah. because it, it assumes a constant stream of such variety and global products and, you know, different preparation type thing. Oh, this little canned thing and that little canned thing. And, and yeah, over, over the span of a year, we do accumulate a pretty decent variety of things and different, you know, we pickle some things and ferment some yeah, things yeah. and, you know, fry some things and freeze some, you know, so there, there, there is that, but, um, when, when you have to shop for every recipe, something's off in both in the pantry. You're making me panic slightly just even use. thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, I, know, I have I to know. go to this shop and get this and this. Oh dear. That, I that's not the, an easy way. <laughs> No, 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 it's not. And and what's weird is um, we're marketed that it is the easy way, actually. Like that's what, what, that's what's marketed towards us. I brought down with me for this recording, the book, A Cabin Full of Food, because I thought it would be worth mentioning this book. Yeah. But this book, um, I, I love this book because it feels like a book written for me. You know, everything in the book she raises or grows herself. And she says... I think I used ketchup as the example when I talked about it, you know, she says, you know, here's ketchup in a recipe. Maybe you, maybe you bought ketchup. So use your purchased ketchup, or maybe you made ketchup from tomatoes that you got from the farmer's market, or maybe you grew tomatoes and you made your own ketchup. Like it doesn't really matter which one you use, but here's a recipe with ketchup in it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's such a terrible, I, can't even okay such a terrible example but well you can take it um, at any level you know you've got the ketchup yeah and, and yeah. she's not bothered about whether you come <laughs> at that level that level that maybe one one yeah. month you come at it one level the next month you come at it another level yeah 
But the fact of the matter is, is that you could work your way backwards through through the ingredients until you were doing everything on your own. You know, it's not something you'd want to start all in a week, yeah. but you could um, work your way backwards. Whereas with a lot of the modern books I see, like it, there's just no way. There, there's just no way you're going to do all those all those steps. And I, I think a part of that is um, the the um, influence of French cuisine, which had a big influence yeah. on, you know, lots of complex um, and canonized, as we're speaking yeah, of canons, canonized recipes. Mm. Um, and then the tables of the elite who had staff and maids and scullery maids and cooks and sous yeah. chefs and people working for them. And Whereas the normal um, people were eating polenta every day yeah. here or beans yeah. every day here, you know? Yeah, normally throughout history. And, and you, you can still see this when you visit people whose culture hasn't been completely absorbed into the ultra commercialized food market. So um, like what I have friends from India and you think, wow, how do they crank out all those homemade meals and all those delicious, like amazing meals. And, and then you go to their house and you realize, yeah, they, they kind of have the same thing and then they rotate around it and then there's mm. festival meals and holiday yeah. meals yeah. but there's there's really like a core staple and nobody's ever really sick of it because it's just what they're used to um and then friends from a couple different african countries that i've spent time with they everything they make is from scratch they crank it all out they always have food on the table they always have food in the fridge they always have something to serve you and, and they just kind of do the same thing every day and then mix it up every once in a while. You know, it's, it's not this, well, I, yeah, I'm just like spending all my time on Pinterest trying to find something that I can afford to make. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm glad I don't look at Pinterest. <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I it can, I, yeah, I, I used to use Pinterest when it first came out and mm. then after I pinned about 400,000 things, I realized it was kind <laughs> yeah. of pointless. So. I have to stop this. I'm not looking at them. <laughs> so let's go back to some specifics because I've got a few more things written down that I wanted to add in. Um, so recently we've been asking our butcher to grind our fat before we make lard. And that's been saving us chopping up the back fat for the lard, probably saving about an hour. I would say, an hour and a half of time awesome. to chop up three kilograms of fat, awesome. just getting it ground by the butcher. That was just a matter of asking. The other thing that I've done a bit recently is we've been taking some um, herbs as, as a family, various herbs, and it's very often difficult for me to remember to take them kind of separately, um, to think, oh, I've got to take this herb, I've, I've got to organise it now, I've got to either boil it in a tea or, or put it with with something else and swallow it and so what I've taken to doing is putting herbs into my kefir so I will make a very big herbal tea and I'll put it in the fridge and it'll be in there for a couple of days and then I make kefir every day usually a litre of kefir I will just use that for my kefir and it actually it's been tasting amazing like Gabriel prefers amazing. it to normal kefir um, we've been using a herb called Botonica um, at the moment and it makes it taste like raspberries and blackberries, kefir, it's wonderful. Mm. I often put herbs in my bone broth as well. So I have a cup of broth and I'll put herbs in that. And that seems to me a much easier way for me to to have the herbs because it, it's, you know, kefir is part of my routine anyway. All I've done is slot something else in there that 
then I don't even need to think about it again. You know, I don't need to, to add something extra. I've, I've made it part of my routine. I think when you do your um, organ meats and you grind them into mm-hmm. your um, flesh, that's kind of a similar thing because, you know, you want to have the organ meats, but you don't want to have all the bags of organ meats in your freezer. So right. explain what you do when, when, you make your, um, when you make your mince, when you make your ground beef. Okay. So <clears throat> I think most, most butchers, you can ask them to do this. Mm. And certainly we do it ourselves. Like certainly, you know, if you have a meat grinder, or as I think I said on the fats episode, I borrow a meat grinder from a friend. Um, we just shove all the organs through with the meat and some of the fat and make a, you know, combo. Mm. And that isn't because nobody likes organs. Nobody cares Really, I, I don't particularly say, and I put hearts and kidney in this mm. and just serve them and then just eat it. But it, it, for me, it makes it easier because then I'm not trying to pre- prepare all these different, um, you know, varying textures and delicatenesses of things. Yeah. It's kind of all mashed in together and can go into whatever kind of casserole. Um, also, oftentimes when if we butcher with a friend or, or a friend is butchering animal for us, they're usually doing multiple at a time for other people as well. And other people don't want the organs. So instead of having like one pig's organs mixed in with the meat, we actually have like four or five Uh, pigs organs mixed in with the meat. So it's a higher ratio of organs in it. Um, so it's even more dense than, than it, you know, normally would be. And it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's absolutely delicious and, and literally zero people have ever complained or noticed. <laughs> so it's actually, you know, it's an easy way to not be bothering about having to bag up separate types of organ meats and worry about how they yeah. need to be cooked or when you're going to eat them. If people are having problems with their kids eating organ meats, again, it's an easy way that you can put organ meats in into a diet without it being so noticeable so there's kind of two wins on that time wise and if you have a problem with eating organ meats um taste wise and nutrition wise which is cool yeah and i would it's kind of like you said with the kraut maybe dinner isn't always where i'm finding my most passionate expression of creativity (laughs) i'm sometimes just trying to feed people and i'd rather have 15 homogenous packets of sausage than five packets of sausage and four packets of kidneys and three packets of hearts and 22 packets of liver (laughs) yeah no I totally agree we tend to buy ours separately because we don't have whole animal butchering like you do you have that much more often than us I would Mm. buy liver separately you know from my farmer Flavio sometimes and then sometimes I will buy ground beef Um, and so I don't kind of do the same thing but when you're looking at a whole animal perspective that makes complete sense what you're doing Hmm. totally totally so let's end by talking about um time and the easy way to have more time and we've kind of we talk about this on the podcast on and off (laughs) and we do have a podcast um way back um last year it feels like way back it probably wasn't um about um me getting rid of my smartphone and Mm -hmm. really I think we all want to do you know we all want to do things in the kitchen everyone who's listening to this 
wants to um, either prepare themselves good food for their health or for their family or because they love it. Um, and we need time in the kitchen to do that. And it's we live in a society that's very time poor and it's easy to... Um, to lose that time and, and not have the time that you want to give to the kitchen. And so I've just got four short things to say about the easy ways to have more time. First one, turn off notifications on your phone if you have one. Have phone-free days. Andrew, you were telling me last week you had one day where you didn't go on the computer on your phone at all and you got so much done. Set priorities. So if it's really important to you to make something, you know, make a sourdough this week, then make that your priority. Um, and the last one is create first and then consume. Again and again, when I apply that rule to my life, that I don't go on any form of media where I'm consuming other people's stuff until I've created myself, whether that be you know, doing my own admin or doing something, you know, creative with my business and or filming something or being in the kitchen and making bread, that takes priority over sitting back and consuming someone else's content. Because otherwise you just, you get sucked in. It's too easy. I know I've done it too many times. My days are much more productive yeah. when I create first. So if if you're interested in um, what's the word? If you're interested in looking at your relationship with technology, you can pop back to listen to that earlier podcast about um, why I gave away my smartphone, why I gave away yeah, my iPhone. It's a good one. It's yeah. And if you're one of the patrons of the show, jump into the private feed because I did an interview with Rob and it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. So Rob's my husband and so he's. Good. He's been the, the torchbearer for me to help me um, get rid of um, screens and phones and make technology work for me, not have it rule my life. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's, a, there's an interview with him in there too. Will nice. you I, – I hope that you get him on here sometime to talk about it because I'm, I'm not going to go into it here, but I just want people to know you, you, you hear Alison saying this and you're like, yes, but Alison – you record a podcast and and Rob edits it. So of course you spend screen time. But I would say, surprise, Rob does it without a screen. Yeah. I don't know how he does I it. I don't know how he does I it. I hope either. that you talk about it. I'll have to yeah. take some pictures too because his little devices that he comes up with are so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm in awe, but also completely in the dark. <laughs> <Because Yeah. laughs> Me too. I, I don't know how he does it, but He's, um, and then he tries to break it down and sim explain it simply for me. And I'm like, that did not help at all. <laughs> I know what I know is it know. works, you know, it works. And, you know, he's done it because of his health, because he, he can't look at normal screens and be mm -hmm. a normal human mm -hmm. being. And so, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and thankfully, he's able to still look after all of our technical stuff here and be healthy, which is wonderful. Brilliant. I would add a fifth thing to that list, yeah. um, which something I do for myself, which is probably doesn't work so well if you're checking things on a computer, but if you check things on a smartphone, mm. um, write your Instagram posts and check your messages standing up. <laughs> ah. It just shortens. It, yeah. it really does shorten the time you spend. And I, uh, if I'm standing, I'm like near a table and I start to lean and I, I think, nope, don't Cheating. do it because the, the percentage to which I lean is like 
uh, has a direct relationship to how much more time I spend on the phone. I'm not kidding. Yeah. If you get comfortable, that's it. (laughs) Make yourself uncomfortable. Do it all standing up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, give yourself, um, is not just talking about looking at screens, but I, I know I'm probably coming at you through a phone right now, but I would also say, give yourself quiet space, not, not listening, not consuming, not learning, not being entertained, not absorbing. Um, I, it's really hard for me to explain, but I really feel like just with my brain specifically, um, my creativity, my speed, my efficiency are dampened. That's the only word I can think of when I have some sort of electronic stimulation going. Absolutely. And there are times when what I'm doing is just so mind numbing that I'm like, yes, this is, I am listening to something or even turning on like a show <clears throat> down to Nabby. Um, <laughs> try to learn about Allison's culture a little bit. Um, and or listening to a podcast or something, but I, I know I mentioned on here before that I listen to podcasts when I do chores outside, but that was then. And I don't anymore. Okay. Um, I kept noticing that the days that I didn't listen to something, I was sharper when yeah. I was doing chores. Okay. And so then after noticing that I was reading in Joel Salatin's book and he said, one of his rules on his farm is nobody's allowed to have an electronic device while they're mm. doing chores. Because he said, I want you on red hot high alert at all times. I want you noticing things. I want you picking up on things. I want you hearing the songbirds and noticing what the seasons are and hearing the wind change direction. Like I want you picking up on all of that. And so I thought, all right, that's the confirmation I needed. And so it's just become my rule. The phone is inside the house and I'm outside doing chores. And um the same can be true in the kitchen. Sometimes you need um, even to turn off me and Allison. Yeah, no, do, do <laughs> I mean, it. I, I, I love being in the kitchen with you, of course. And then, and there will be times for that. I'll yes. join you washing the dishes always. <laughs> but sometimes you need to just really let your brain stretch and unfold in ways that it won't if somebody's talking to you. Yeah, I think it's easy to think that, we have to know all the information just because it's there. I've really struggled with that all my life. Well, there's all this information out there. I could be learning this. I could be better, getting better at this. I could be, and and it's taken very many years and still takes a long time for me to think, actually, I feel better when I don't take in a lot of information. You know what? I'm, I'm yeah. still here and I'm doing all right. So yeah, it, moderating that so there's space for both is... Yeah. Is something that brings a lot more pleasure and groundedness, I think. Mm-hmm. And we could, um, we could quote Charlotte Mason there, and she says her, you know, when a child finishes school, you know, like graduates or whatever, mm-hmm. she says the question is not how much does the youth know, but how much does he care, mm-hmm. and just knowing that you're never going to learn it all. You're never going to figure it out. We're, we're just going to keep learning it. And do we care? Like, are we interested? Are we passionate? Are we enjoying? And Lexi always says, you know, when she starts to get caught up in, 
am, am I doing enough in the house? Is this, is this right? You know, she always says the house is for the people. And, and I love that because sometimes you are going to have to shortcut something or even, even dare I say, modify your standards or your expectations for a little yeah. while in order to serve the people in the house and not live in a place of contention and strife. But I would also say the learning is for the people too. The learning is for the people and, and it's not here to make you miserable or here to, you know, make you good or check a box. It's just here for you, for pleasure, for enjoyment. And, and you can turn it off. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're finishing now, so you can turn you can turn it off now for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you can do that. Now, now yeah. it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I think we're finishing. Now you, you might, can give yeah. away your iPhone. Have you got anything else you want to, to add, Andrea, before we close? <laughs> no, that was lovely. No. Okay. Oh, really nice episode. Well, I hope that we've brought some easier ways or some ideas or maybe sparked some more ideas. If you have any of your own that you would like to share with us, we would love to hear them do yes, let us know do. um over instagram or you can send us an email you can email me um at alison at ancestralkitchen.com and yeah we'll share those for sure if we um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we get some in so do yeah. let us know and um andrea i will speak to you next time thank you all right you got it bye bye <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram, Andrea's at Farm and Hearth and Allison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Bye.